Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Morning, everybody. It's not Tim here, uh, but hopefully we'll have a great Sunday. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. If you're using that blue Bible in front of you, I believe it's page 354. 354. I was born and raised in church. And a lot of times when the speaker would choose a large passage of scripture, I would get so squirmy. And so just a warning here, we're gonna be reading all the way down through verse 19. And I hope you just follow along there in the scripture. I'll read aloud, you can just follow along. But it'll be about three or four minutes. And so the end is coming, don't worry. But this is an important story for us this morning. First Kings chapter 19, I'm gonna start in verse number one. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if, it, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, have thrown down your altars and have killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out, stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came to him a voice and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. 
and Elisha, son of Shephat, of Abel, oh, that's a weird word, you shall, not, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha. And the story goes from there. Let us pray for it. Let me pray for us this morning. Dear God, thank you for the story. Thank you for this Sunday. Thank you for the ability to come into church. Lord, uh, for many of us, we're thankful for the time that we've been able to spend with family this week and just the, the goodness of full bellies, Lord, and uh, time around the table and a chance to enjoy the good things that you've given to us. God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, I pray that this story of Elijah would just be an important story, especially for us today. Pray these things in your name. And everybody together said, amen. Amen. I love this story. And more and more, I feel like this story is important for us in our day and age. For the context, Elisha is a fiery prophet, quite literally. He starts his ministry there in 1 Kings chapter 17, and he comes up to Ahab, which is the, one of the most miserable kings over the northern tribes of Israel, the 10 tribes that had split off after Solomon. And he says, there's not gonna be any rain. And he's making this prophetic statement because God had promised, if my children wander away from me, one of the things that he's going to do is remove rain. And so Elijah steps up and says, no more rain, Ahab. And sure enough, for three years, there is no rain over Israel. And when that three years has passed, Elijah shows back up, comes to Ahab and says, hey, buddy, I have a proposition for you. How about we have a little contest and we see which God is actually God. The children of Israel had fallen, fallen, followed after Baal and were worshiping Baal. Baal was the God of rain. He was the God of the harvest. And so it was, it was easy that Baal should be able to take care of this. Why, why don't we have a little contest to see which God is actually God? And so he gathers up the prophets of Baal up to Mount Carmel, 450 of them. And then he addresses the people of Israel. He says, how long are you gonna halt between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then serve him. If Baal is God, then serve him. And he's just calling these people to a point to make a decision. Who are you going to follow? He lets the prophets of Baal go first. The contest is whichever God answers by fire, let that be the God that we follow. And so the prophets of Baal go and they start crying out to Baal. They dance around the altar and Elijah starts making fun of them. He's like, hey, maybe your God can't hear you. You need to cry a little bit louder. Maybe your God's away on a journey or maybe he's out using the bathroom. Come on, what's, what's, what's the matter here? There's 450 of you guys. How come this can't work? After the prophets of, Elijah, after the prophets of Baal are done, Elisha rebuilds the altar of God. 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel, gets a cow, sacrifices it on the altar and says, ah, not quite enough. Grab some water, let's pour water over here so the water not only covers the sacrifice and the rocks, but fills up this trench. And then Elijah slows down, he prays. Fire comes down from heaven, devours the sacrifice, the rocks, the water that's in the trench. And he says, it's proof, God is God. And then 
He says, Ahab, get out of here because the rain's coming. Now that we know what God is actually God, God is going to satisfy this land with rain again. And so you better get back to the capital of Jezreel before you can't go anymore. And he goes and he gets down on his knees and he prays. After praying three times, he looks up and he sees a tiny little cloud coming in the distance. And he says, it's go time. The rain's coming. And then God says, he gives him supernatural strengths. He, he girds up his loins around him, grabs his uh, toga or whatever it is, and he uh, kind of tucks it in. And then he makes for Jezreel 16 miles. He books it and he beats Ahab there. God was using Elijah in powerful ways, that fiery prophet in the Old Testament. And then we have to imagine that Elijah thinks this is it. This is the moment when all of Israel is going to realize that God is God and that we ought to serve, serve him. These, these Baals, these Asherah that we're worshiping at, these are not real gods. Let's get rid of them. But that's not what happens. And instead, what he gets is a message from Jezebel. Jezebel uh, was actually a priestess for Baal. And Jezebel was probably not too thrilled that 450 of her prophets did not make it through the exhibition yesterday and that they were now dead. And so Jezebel says, you better believe Elijah that I'm going to do the same thing to you. And Elijah freaks out. He, he, he gets up and he runs. My, my brother's a, uh, my brother's a uh, army He's in the special forces. I don't, he has a green beret, a fancy hat for him. And he talks about one time, I don't know what training or exercise this was in, uh, but he and his buddy were out, on, out in the field and they were camping. I think it was in one of the Carolinas. I don't, I don't know. He doesn't talk about his military stuff very much. But he said one of his buddies were in the training on the way to get their special forces designation to get their green beret. And his buddy wakes up looks up outside, sees that it's raining and goes, that's enough, I'm done. <laughs> Picks up his sleeping bag, walks back into camp, rings the bell or whatever it is and says, I quit. He couldn't take that little bit of rain to get through the course. It's just like that little, uh, that little piece of hay was the hay that broke the camel's back. And that's kind of what we see with Elijah. Elijah comes and he hears Jezebel's warning. He says, that's it, <laughs> I'm done. I can't take anymore. And he runs off down into the wilderness. And funniness aside, what we see here with Elijah, Elijah is scared, he's withdrawn. It says in the passage that he, uh, he let his servant go. It's kind of his way of saying like, I'm done being a prophet. I don't need my staff anymore. You can go on your way. I'm done with all this ministry stuff. He's scared, he's withdrawn, he's despondent, he's given up. And he just says, God, I'm ready to die. When eventually he opens his mouth, opens his mouth, we can tell, man, Elijah, you're angry and you're lonely. I wonder if Elijah wouldn't prefer if this story wasn't in the Bible. <laughs> There's so many other things that Elijah did that, man, would have had a complete story without this little incident right here. But I'm so glad that this story is in the Bible. What we have here is an example of what God does when he finds somebody who's scared, withdrawn, despondent, angry, and lonely. Especially for today, I think that this story is important for us. Uh, it's estimated 
that 20%, excuse me, 26% of Americans over 18 years old, that's one in four adults, suffers from a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. And there's a lot of different uh, mental disorders, whatever it is. Uh, furthermore, it says 9.5% American adults will suffer from a depressive illness. And we can see this in the medications. The stat's a little bit old, but in 2010, 253 million prescriptions were written for antidepressants in the US. The second most profitable drug here in America, 253 million. The last time I count, there's only around 300 million Americans, right? Where, where are all these prescriptions going to? And I say that not to belittle medication or anything like that. There's value and importance in that. But just to say that, man, there's a problem. 4,000, or excuse me, 47,646 suicides were committed last year. And honestly, it's like with the stats and everything, it is something that we're so familiar with that it often just goes unnoticed. Last month, I got an email from Redwood Christian Schools. I went to Redwood Christian High School and my kids went to Redwood Christian Schools before we moved down to San Jose, but they had a seventh grader that committed suicide. And so the email just went out to every email that they had in their database saying, hey, we're so sorry for this loss. And as a pastor that used to do ministry there in the East Bay, you know, got the text, hey, if you're available, would you mind coming on campus to just be available for students who are processing through what's going on? And it just hit a little bit closer. Even here in our school, Los Gatos Christian Schools, man, students that are dealing with mental illness, self-harm, and just the, the pain that those symptoms are showing that are lying underneath the surface for many of our students. And that, that's, that's the time of life where life's supposed to be easy and innocent and fun and you're, you're just hanging out with your friends and there's barely even homework in middle school. But yet, man, there's a pain, there's a frustration. And here in this story, we see what God does when he finds somebody who's afraid who's withdrawn, who's given up, who's angry, and who's lonely. No two people are the same. Severity for just the chaos that's going on inside, for every person is going to be in a different place, for different seasons, that frustration is gonna be at different levels. But I love the story of Elijah that speaks to these issues. Three ways that God deals with scared, withdrawn, given up, angry, and lonely people. You don't even need to take notes. If you're looking at it, I just kind of gave you some space where something that's said that is important to you, you wanna hold on to it. Uh, the notes are there for you. But the first way that God deals with Elijah is physically, physically. Elijah's checked out. He's hanging out under a little broom tree and I, I, I did some research, a broom tree is barely a tree. We're talking about like a glorified bush. And I can imagine Elijah scrunched up under a little bush trying to avoid the desert heat. And he just says, I'm done. Take me out, God. And to this morning, we're not gonna be taking an in-depth look at suicide, but it's important to note that even in this state, when Elijah is done, he does not think that taking his own life is something that he has permission to do. That he says, God, I know I can't take my own life, but would you do that for me? God says, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna answer that prayer request, but he does something even better. Hey buddy, why don't you eat this bread 
and then go back to sleep. Wait, what? This is the fiery prophet. This is Elijah. Man, when you go through the miracles that Elijah has seen and performed, he prayed and there was no rain for three years. And then after he was, as he was living in that drought, he was fed by ravens sitting next to a brook. When he went and when the brook dried up, he found a widow and he said, make me a little cake. And he said, all I have is this little bit of flour and this little bit of oil. He's like, don't worry about it. You make me a cake and then God's gonna provide for you. And for years, there was an infinite amount of flour and oil that kept Elijah, this widow and her son alive until the son died. And the widow was angry. He says, Elijah, how come you brought this curse on us? And so Elijah says, whoa, 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 whoa. This, this death isn't like that kind of death. It's just like a, like a little like short-term death. And Elijah goes up, prostrates over this boy and the boy comes back to life. And then that's when they go to Mount Carmel and Elijah calls down fire from heaven. Elijah was familiar with miracles. He was a miracle working prophet. But when God comes to him and he's saying, it's all done, God, I don't want any more. God says, but have you considered a bed and breakfast? <laughs> Could you consider maybe that what you need in this moment is not a miracle? Is our God a miracle working God? Absolutely. Can he supernaturally come down and take our Take these situations that seem so daunting to us and reverse them in, in, in just an immediate fashion? Absolutely. Is that what God normally does? No. The bed and breakfast. The, hey buddy, go to sleep. What you need now is a little bit of a rest. You need a little bit of food in your stomach. The journey ahead of you is too much for you. Sleep and eat twice. This is repeated. As a kid, I was uh, not always, but occasionally moody and depressive. I have this one distinct memory. I think my older brother was picking on me. I'm from a family of six. My older brother is six years older than me. So always easy to pick on, right? But one time Anthony had just done, uh, been a little bit too mean. I remember running into the bathroom, slamming the door shut, hugging onto the bathroom and crying to myself, nobody loves me. I was in one of those situations and my dad called me into my room, sat me down on my bed and he goes, hey Charles, have you ever thought that maybe when you get into these moods, it's because you're tired? And something in that, in that conversation, I was like, oh, you're right, I am tired dad. And now that I'm old enough, I can, I can give myself a nap. Yeah, I, I love what it says, I love what it says in Isaiah 30, for thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. In returning and rest, you will be saved. But here's how this verse ends. But you were unwilling. I do think bed and breakfast is God's will for many of us, but just like in Isaiah's, just as God was prophesying through Isaiah, so many of us were unwilling to go to that place, to trust God, to say like, God, even if I let go of some of these responsibilities, let go of some of these things that I feel that have to be done in that rest, you can save me. Charles Spurgeon uh, is the prince, prince of preachers. I think he was, lived in the 7th century, 17th century, excuse me. He was uh, 
famous preacher there in London. Here's what he says about sleep. We do not lose the time we spend in sleep when we are worn out with fatigue. It is the best economy of life to let the body have a sufficiency of nature's sweet restorer. He says, it's barmy sleep. Barmy is, I guess, British slang for mad, crazy, bonkers, buggy, buggers, crackers. And he says, hey, this crazy thing called sleep is nature's sweet restorer. You're not losing anything when you give yourself to it. God takes care of Elijah physically. Especially for Christians, we need to hear this. For, 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 especially for Christians who are uh, maybe a little bit uh, still beginning in their path, maybe we'll call them shallow Christians. Uh, Tim Keller calls them moralists. When we have anything that goes wrong with us, we just go down to spiritual checklists. Well, have you been praying? Have you been reading your Bible? Have you attended church recently? Have you been listening to worship? Do you have any unconfessed sin? Have you asked for this thorn of the flesh to be removed? Have you sought spiritual direction? Have you fasted? Have you prayed? Have you done this? Have you done that? And it's just a spiritual checklist. Have you done all of these things? But yet when God deals with Elijah, he says, hey buddy, what you need is sleep and some food. For Christians, many times we go through a spiritual checkness. On the flip side, uh, for people who don't have faith, sometimes we simply go down a physical checklist. Well, have you seen a doctor, a chiropractor, a naturopath? Have you seen this Instagram guru? Have you gotten your blood drawn? Have you tracked your sleep cycle? Have you cut out gluten, dairy, eggs, soy? Have you tried this prescription? Have you been watching your exercise routine? And on the flip side of it, Christians frequently will say, well, it's all spiritual. There's nothing physical about it. And then the materialists say, well, no, it's all physical. Have you done all of these things? And both are true. We are embodied souls. And until death separates that, there's no getting, but there's, there's no separating the fact that we are both soul and body. In Christian thought, as opposed to Plato's negative view of the body or some Eastern religions that emphasize withdraw from the physical world, God looks at our body and he says, it's good and it's important. When God sees Elijah scared, withdrawn, depressed, angry, and lonely, the first thing he says is, hey, buddy, take a nap. Find that bed and breakfast and take care of yourself. Our bodies are important. And for, when, for that reason, when God met with Elijah, he gave him some food and a nap. Maybe there's an invitation for you in this. When the, when's the last time you've taken a nap? When's the last time you've had a great meal with friends? Maybe the reason that there is this frustration, there's this low grade anxiety that is just constantly in your life is because you're not taking care of yourself. Are you taking care of your body? As a pastor, this theology of the body is something that I, I feel like we don't talk enough about. I think we could take the rest of our time this morning talking about the theology of, a bot, of the body. But for some reason, Tim said I could only have one week. He said, we actually wanted to have a Christmas series this year. I said, okay, fine. You can have things your way. A couple of resources that, that I would recommend uh, to give you helpful advice as you're just understanding the importance of your body. First, uh, John Mark Comer, 
It was a kid uh, whose parents met in our church. He's a pastor up in Portland now, but John Mark Comer has a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is just very helpful advice for people in our day and age who are just go, 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 go nonstop. And then we turn around and we wonder, why do I feel so empty and and, uh, frustrated inside? The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry gives some very practical advice for that. Nancy Piercy has a book called Love Thy Body, answering hard questions about life and sexuality. What Nancy Piercy does is she looks at a theology of the body, the importance of the fact that God created us very good. And she takes that theology of the body and then she says, here's how this informs things like abortion, things like sexual identities, things like gender identities, and all of the hot button issues that we're dealing with today. She traces it back and says, hey, for Christians, we have a theology of the body, how God views our embodied souls. And that what, that's what makes the difference. Lastly, Jess Connolly has a book, Breaking Free from Body Shame, Dare to Reclaim What God Has Named Good. And in this book, Jess looks at uh, the theology of the body and says, hey, for, for the almost ubiquitous struggle that especially women have with body image issues, where it's always, I need to, especially after Thanksgiving and heading into Christmas, right? Oh man, I've put on this extra weight and oh, you know, it's just, I don't like how my body looks over here. Jess Connolly looks at a theology of the body and says, no, 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 we're created very good. And we need to name our bodies the same way that God names our bodies. For Christians, the theology of a body is important. When God mests, when God meets Elijah, the first thing that he says is, hey, let me take care of you physically. Second thing that God does is, hey, let me, let me meet with you personally. After his nap, Elijah gets up and he heads for Horeb, the mountain of God. And this isn't a short distance uh, from the, where he is in Beersheba down to Mount Sinai or Horeb, the mountain of God. Uh, it's about the same distance as if we were to get up and say, hey, I'm going to North Lake Tahoe right now. It's a hike and a half to get his way there. But Elijah makes this journey and it's not accidental. Elijah was frustrated that, God had, that God's people had broken their covenant. God, these people are cheating on you. We, we'd established how we were supposed to respond to you, but we've broken that covenant. And so Elijah is going back to the place where the covenant was restored, the Mount Sinai, where Moses had received the 10 commandments. The Bible tells us that it's a 40 day journey. That 40 days is for us to equate Elijah with Moses. Just like Moses spent 40 days on top of Mount Sinai, Elijah spent 40 days getting to Mount Sinai. It's supposed to equate Elijah with the people of Israel. Just as the children of Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, Elijah takes 40 days getting to the mountain of God. When Elijah finally shows up, the word of the Lord comes. Verse number nine, then he, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Do we need rest? Yes. But is that the only thing that we need? Absolutely not. Jesus said after 40 days of fasting himself, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Not only do we need to take care of our physical bodies, we need to hear from God. What God does for Elijah is ask him a question. When God asks a question, it's not because he's looking for an answer. 
God didn't come to Elijah and be like, whoa, what, what are you doing here, buddy? He, he's, he's wanting Elijah to process, man, what's going on inside of you? He wants Elijah to process through the emotions that are inside of him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah responds, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I even, I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What he's saying is, God, I've done everything you wanted. Everything, though, is still broken. I'm the only one left. With all that rain stopping, fire calling down from heaven, it didn't make a bit of difference. And because of that, I'm angry. God, how could you let this happen? You're not meeting my expectations. What Elijah does is takes God's question and opens up everything to God. When God asks us questions, what he's coming for is intimacy. He wants to know his people. He wants to connect with us personally. And in order to do that, there has to be a vulnerability, an acknowledgement of what's actually going on inside. Pete Scazzaro, as a pastor out in New Jersey, or he was, and he has a book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I can't recommend it enough. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. The tagline of the book is, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And to that, I would say, amen. Here's what he says about emotions. He says, when we deny our pain, losses, and feelings year after year, we become less and less human. We transform slowly into empty shells with smiley faces painted. And I think that the church is one of the places where this disease is seen more often than not. We come into church, we're wearing our Sunday best, we have, happy, we have happiness painted onto our face, but inside we're just shoving down those emotions. Don't deal with it, don't deal with it. But yet, when Jesus answer, asks this question, he's asking Elijah, Elijah, like, what are you feeling, bud? What's going on? What? Let me in. I want, to get in, I want to get intimate with you. But in order for that to happen, you have to be vulnerable for me. You have to be vulnerable before me. Augustine in AD 500 wrote in his book, Confessions, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Augustine's prayer was this. Grant, Lord, that I, name, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Calvin, uh, the reformer uh, there in Geneva, says our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to each other's. Both Augustine and Calvin said, if we wanna know God, one of the integral parts is to know ourselves, to be able to process what's going on inside. If you're here and you are more comfortable with the cramming down of emotions, could I invite you to investigate the Psalms? Almost one third of the Psalms are what are called lament Psalms where the author is coming out and he's just laying out their complaint before God. Here's a couple of my favorite. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Here's a secret wish. Uh, one Sunday, I kind of want to take our happy worship and just turn it into lament worship. <laughs> and just make it like really dark and like, God, where are you? <laughs> Maybe that wouldn't be the best choice. <laughs> 
for our worship, but my desire. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 69, deliver me, O God, for the waters have reached my neck. I'm sinking into the slimy deep. I find no foothold. Foothold. I have come into the watery depths. The flood sweeps me away. I am weary with calling. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for God. In the Psalms, what we see is people who are just open emotionally. God, here's what I'm feeling. God comes to Elijah. What are you doing here? Elijah gives him his answer. Maybe here's an invitation for you. Put yourself into Elijah's shoes. You've just made that 40 day trek from here up to North Lake Tahoe. You're sitting yourself under a more impressive tree than a broom tree. And God comes to you and he says, hey, Jacob, what are you doing here? What's really going on? What's in that heart of yours? Why are you so frustrated? What's your answer? Well, what is it that just consistently comes up? Where do we need to be open and vulnerable before God? Elijah gives his response, but here's where the story gets good. Behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountains. And then after the wind comes a fire and after the fire comes an earthquake. And the Bible tells us in each of these things, God is not in the earthquake. He's not in the wind. He's not in the fire. And after all of those things, a still small voice. God comes to Elijah and he says, Elijah, you got it all wrong. You thought that the way that people were going to respond is if they saw a show of power from God. And don't we want that? Don't we want God to show up and show us something powerful, have a big experience, have the spiritual fireworks and just that like unchangeable impression in our heart, which is like, oh man, I saw God. I saw the miracle. I saw him work. It was impressive, undeniable that this was the hand of God. Don't we all want that? But Elijah, God comes to Elijah and says, all of those things isn't how I generally work in people's lives. I'm not in the fire. I'm not in the wind. I'm not in the earthquake. And it's not that God never uses those things. Man, as we read throughout scripture, on the day of Pentecost, there was a wind that tore through. On the day of Jesus's crucifixion, there was an earthquake. There, in times, there have, been, there have been times, even in Elijah's own story, where God sent fire down from heaven. So God does use these big miraculous things, but the primary way that he works in people today is through the still, small voice. Can I tell you I'm so thankful for that? I, I, I do love the big and impressive and just like the, oh man, God's working. But what's infinitely more valuable to me is when God comes to me and has a message just for me. Charles, I love you. Charles, you're doing okay. That still small voice where it's not a message for everybody, it's a message for us personally. In John, in John 16, Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, I will send a helper, a counselor to be in you. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And the reason that this Holy, the thing that this Holy Spirit was going to do was to remind us, to be within us and remind us of Jesus. And Jesus says, this is better than having me here. Wait, 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 wait. 
Jesus, we were around when you did your miracles. We were around when you fed 5,000, when you raised the dead, when you healed the cripple. We were there when we saw all the amazing things that you did. How could you possibly say that having the Holy Spirit inside of us would be better? I don't know, but Jesus says it's true. Having that still small voice inside of you, the Holy Spirit reminding you of what God is calling you to is more important. God comes to Elijah and he ministers to him in a still small voice. The last point, not only does God minister to Elijah personally, he also, he also invites, he also deals with him missionally. I'm not sure that that's a word, but in Christianese, it is. So it's there in your notes, it's official now. I love how God ends it all with Elijah. It just tells us that there's a still small voice. In that moment, Elijah's like, <clears throat> that's it. Wraps his face in his cloak, goes outside of the tent. And then at that moment, God says, all right, up with you, go. There's three people that I want you to anoint. I want you to anoint the king in Syria. I want you to anoint the king over Israel. And then I want you to anoint the prophet in your, who's gonna succeed you. Anoint these three people because my mission doesn't stop. It's almost like God's like, Elijah, you're here over having a pity party, but you can't stay in this pity, par pity party location because there's work for you to do. There's a mission for you to be on. There's something that only you can do. And to complete Elijah's healing, God invites Elijah to be on mission, to realize that we have a calling on our lives. Uh, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, I totally lost the, the author's name. Viktor Frankl, there we go. Sorry about that, guys. Viktor Frankl, who is a Holocaust survivor, uh, wrote the book, man's search for meaning after, after his experience in the concentration camps. And what he says is when your life has a meaning, you can deal with almost any misery. And that's coming from somebody who knew some misery. He quoted Nietzsche pretty frequently. And he's, Nietzsche said this, he who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. And I think God knew that. He says, Elijah, what you need it is to have some meaning into your life, to have a purpose that you're living for, a mission that you're called to, and to round out your healing, you need to deal with the physical, you need to meet with God personally, but you need to realize that life isn't all about you and your pity party. There's a mission that you're called to and you need to get to work. In my last church, uh, there was a student who I was fairly close with, we'll call him John. Uh, John was kind of awkward in high school. He didn't, he had a really hard time making friends at school on the basketball team. He had even a worse time talking to girls and he really, really wanted a girlfriend, but it just wasn't in the cards for him. He, he just talked to girls and then he would just freeze up. Uh, and because of his difficulty in just like interacting in, uh, social settings, he just kind of got withdrawn and kind of like in his own feelings and in his own space. Uh, but I was so thankful when John started getting more involved in the high school group. 
Eventually he came to summer camp with us and after, at, there at summer camp, a crew of guys came around him and it's hard to not make friends when you have seven days in a cabin together and you're off doing all of the different things that camp allows. And so John found a group of friends and then one night he came to me after the message and he sings, says, I think God's calling me into the ministry. I think that God wants me to be a pastor. And I was so excited for him. And he was focused, he was soaking up the Bible, looking for opportunities to serve in the church. He was listening to a million and one podcasts. I couldn't give him uh, recommendations fast enough. And he was just passionate and focused to live out his calling. A uh, few years pass, moved down here to San Jose. And one morning I grab my phone, uh, turn it back on. I always sleep with my phone off. That's wisdom and that's free for you guys. Uh, but I got a text from John. I'm on my way to the Bay Bridge. I just can't take this pain anymore. I don't know how to deal with the loneliness and the frustration that seems to be ever, like ever part of my story. Thankfully, he, he didn't end his life that night. He was able to find a friend and talk and kind of bring him back to reality. But over the last couple of years, it's just been up some, down a little bit more, wrestling with just depression, anxiety, loneliness, this frustration that comes with it. There's been doctor visits, there's been counselors, there's been a whole gamut of trying to see what's going on in John's life. And when I think of many people that I know like John, what I want is what God does for Elijah. Man, let's, let's see what's going on physically. That's an important part, even for Christians. But then let's meet with God personally. The ultimate answer to the questions that we have inside and the frustrations that we feel inside is when we meet with God, that still small voice that, over, that overcomes all of the difficulties that we're feeling inside. The still small voice is the answer that each and every one of us need. And then when that is done, let's go out on mission. John, let's, let's get back to the place where you're focused on what God has called you to do. And my prayer for everybody in this room is the same. That the way that God dealt with Elijah, physically, personally, missionally, be the way that God deals with us when we find ourselves scared, withdrawn, depressed, angry, and lonely. Because God cares for us. And there's a still small voice that, that is available to each and every one of us if we'll be still and know that he's God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for this chance that we have to come into the story of Elijah, Lord, and see how you dealt with one person. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room, Lord, who's really going through it in this season, God, would you give them the courage to come up to pray with somebody, to reach out to a friend, to reach out to a pastor, Lord, to reach out to somebody who can help walk them through, Lord, just the, the difficulties that we often find ourselves in. God, meet with us this morning. Praise things in your name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.